everyone. Uh, welcome to the Rosenfeld Review podcast uh, with your friend Lou Rosenfeld. Hello, hello. Uh, I am here with Nathan Shedroff and Steve Diller. Hey, guys. Hi. Hey. Nathan and Steve uh, are the authors of uh, one, the second of our Two Waves uh, books in print. Two Waves books, which really uh, plumb the, the intersection of business and design. And uh, their book is Blind Spot. Uh, Blind Spot is uh, a book that's uh, really about uh, understanding the value of relationships and in a business context. Now, um, it's interesting because one of the things you guys get into right away in your book is just that there's maybe a, a little bit too much emphasis put on loyalty and customer loyalty is, is I don't know if it's irrelevant from your perspective, but it kind of misses the point. Maybe that is the part of the blind spot that organizations have. Do we really want to throw loyalty out? Is it, uh, is it time for uh, a new look at what's important in terms of how we relate to our customers? Well, I think, I think the concept of loyalty often looks like a one-way street having to do with uh, how often customers come back and spend money as opposed to the fact that what really matters in terms of corporate valuation aside from um, you know hard assets is about the kinds of relationships that we've developed with customers over the years and that isn't about a one-way street that's about both getting some things that they need and also that it's dynamic. It's not about establishing some sort of um, um, static, um, habitual tendency to keep buying from the same company just because, but that there's an ongoing unfolding of a relationship that both parties contribute to and provide value to. So it sounds like you're kind of challenging uh, an even deeper assumption that we see the people that we relate with in a business setting as consumers. And if you're a consumer, it is kind of a one-way street. But you're you're kind of pushing back against that, if I understand, Steve. Yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of the discussion around how to how to handle that, like um, CRM systems, for instance, um, tend to be a top-down kind of approach that's about communicating in exchange for somebody spending more money, as opposed to a more dynamic interaction over time that provides real value for consumers or customers and at the same time produces real stock value for companies um, because there's a tendency to not see this value as being essential. Companies don't recognize its potential importance to their bottom line and to how the bigger world sees them. They may have a tendency to confuse it with brand valuation but here too, brand valuation is a superficial way of understanding a, a, an ongoing dynamic relationship with customers that determines a lot of the value that we see, especially modern companies um, possessing, possessing in, in the markets, for instance. So it sounds like there's a, a deeper issue here. Maybe this is what you're going to get into, Nathan, but uh, that we, you're kind of questioning something even much deeper, really, which is what is value? Yeah, yeah, exactly. In fact, before I answer that, I, I, we should also probably say that there's a third author on the book, and John Sauber couldn't be on this interview, so I, I just don't want to make it sound just like it's yeah, just me right. and Steve. 
But um, yeah, I mean, what Steve is saying is uh, there is something deeper than that in, in the business world. And that is that business people, most of them know that there's more to it than, you know, just their, you know, price and features, price and performance. They know there's something else out there. And customer loyalty is one way to describe it. Brand value, like Steve suggested, is another way. None of this is standardized. And if you look at the equations for calculating uh, customer, lifetime customer loyalty and value or whatever, they're all just sort of crazy, but they're attempts at trying to understand what this other thing is. Um, the, the two challenges are, A, most design, uh, most business people, you know, whether they're on the design side or on the operational finance side, they don't really know how to define it, which means that they can't then go figure out how to calculate it. And then the bigger issue is that all the, the traditional tools, all of the standard tools, there's no place for any, whether you want to call it brand loyalty or customer loyalty or whatever it is, there's no place for them in the traditional tools. None of the management tools, financial accounting tools, et cetera, have a room for loyalty or brand value or relationship. And that's, that's a big problem because it, it means that most business people, their eye is off the ball. Even if they want to give, even if they believe there's something there and they give lip service to it, when it comes time to make decisions and, and look at their you know, corporate performance, it's just invisible because that's not what they're looking at. But I think in the book, you've really kind of delved a bit more deeply in, into giving, uh, not only to kind of illuminating these, these non-traditional types of value, I think you call them premium value, but you give them names you actually have yeah. categories of them. And that's often half the battle, right? I mean, that business person who's kind of feeling like, you know, the traditional measures or metrics aren't really doing it for them. Uh, talk a little bit about how you're making sense of this sort of unknown area that makes a lot of people uh, perhaps just a bit uncomfortable right now. Well, Steve could probably go into the details. I was just going to say that, again, Business for a long time has sort of known there's something there, and especially in the ad agency world, they just call it all emotional. Um, we, through our research and, and our interactions with actual customers and companies, we've been able to tease out three different categories there because they're not the same. It's emotional value, it's identity value, it's meaningful value, and they're distinct and they need to be approached as separate entities. Otherwise, you're just sort of running off into the world of ambiguity and you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, and to just follow up on Nathan's earlier point, and, it, and this relates to the title of the book of being a blind spot, that while companies and management are aware of those things, because as human beings, we all have them just automatically in our relationships with companies, because there hasn't been uh, an effective way to measure the nature of those things, whether you're talking about meaningful experience or identity or emotional benefits, because there isn't precision about it and because the, the nature of those things have to do with the way people are actually operating inside themselves. In other words, you can't just see meaning sitting on a, on a factory floor and value it um, because the measures haven't been very good. Mm -hmm. They're not top of mind for management teams they're treated as an afterthought or something that 
some outside company, um, say an ad agency or a design firm, can somehow magically deal with it, some sort of magic that's independent of balance sheet. And that's a fundamental mistake. That's what we're arguing in the book, that actually it's central to a balance sheet being accurate and to stock valuation being accurate. And if companies aren't taking that into account, they're missing a key determinant of their value in the world. So, so uh, let's come back to how you, you, you kind of help uh, the reader of Blind Spot actually start to nail that down and, and make sense of those, uh, those premium types of value. But before we do that, let's say I'm a business person and I, I do what tr- traditionally I'm a, a business people do. I might go to an ad agency or a design firm uh, for this magic. What are they going to do for me and how are they getting it wrong? The first thing they're going to do is try to use their professional expertise to develop some sort of sensibility around those things, right? So we all understand that when we use an Apple product, I mean, the, the best example to use in a way just because it's so ubiquitous, that there are there's a sensibility that underlies everything that they're doing that um, reads for us from an experiential standpoint is beauty and um, that it evokes our accomplish our ability to accomplish things in the world and so on um, we all get it but what's the valuation of that it's there's a mystification that happens often that prevents people from seeing this more clearly and how important it is so the first step is to try to demystify it and so the, what we try to do in the book is try to explain First of all, that there are those different types of premium value and that they can be identified in the marketplace. There's specific demand for them and that when you have sequences of delivering those things, you get a certain kind of relationship with customers. So, you know, are those agencies, whether they be ad agencies or design agencies, um, you know, they, they there's a sort of mystification uh in their work and their efforts, is it because they they don't have the skills, or because they are trying to solve you know every, every, when you have a hammer, every problem is a nail, or is it is there some issue here with uh, going to someone on the outside uh, outside of your organization? Well, they're an expert. They're, you're sort of going to the priesthood and and looking for for them to do their their mystical magic. I'm trying to get a sense of what why is it they're not really figuring this out or do you have to be doing this for yourself ultimately no i i would say that there's a couple things one is that you know the tools for these for doing this well and doing it deliberately haven't ever existed before so up until now you could only rely on either accident or um intuition and so ad agencies in particular but not only and brand agencies etc um have relied on sort of groping around what's going to work and not work in the relationship intuitively. But we've found, especially specifically Steve and my research, we've found models and, and we've built those models into tools that help parse this. It doesn't tell us everything about how this works, but it tells us enough so that we can build a tool and be deliberate about it for the first time, as opposed to just relying on intuition. And intuition often gets, you know, sometimes we get it right, and often we get it wrong. 
So, hey, let's actually do some research. That, what, a, what, a, what a breath of fresh air. Thank you. Um, that's you know, what I, one of the things that I think is so compelling about the book. Why don't you talk a little bit about the, the path that you guys got on that got you doing this research and uh, talk a little bit about the tools that, that have come out of the research. Well, okay, so a few key things I think um, are, are important to bring up right at the outset. I mean, the first is that, um, so Nathan and I had done some previous work on the question of experiences. And what we weren't able to really grapple with, and we did this years ago, was the effect of time. So how do experiences evolve for people and do they matter in some way? Would it be important for us to be able to map out the evolution of experiences over time? So we started doing a whole bunch of research on this. And one thing that came up was that in certain um, fields that are generally looked at as being part of the art world, and we call them the time-based arts, like film, choreography, theater, and so on, there's an evolution of experience over time, and we were able to uncover a way of mapping that evolution of experience that came from the music world. And in the, in the design world, there's a version of this, and it's called a journey map. And most people who have come across this are familiar with that it just represents the evolution of a touch point over time. So for instance, you might look at a journey map or a website and it shows that so first you're looking at the home page here's what you encounter you click here there's there's a movement towards another page and you kind of map out how what you're going to see over time and that's a conventional sort of way of looking at how um, people will walk through a series of experiences but the problem is the experiences are missing yeah, right. the way that we're going to feel is missing. Right, the elements that, that sort of fill in what's been missing. For instance, even today, the, the state of the art of journey maps, some people will tag emotions along the journey map that they want you know, users to feel, or at least to tag from research the emotions that users are already feeling. But it's, it's, it's kind of sloppy, you know, or maybe a better way to say that is it's... Um, uh, aspirational that the journey map is going to be able to deliver that, but it's in the wrong form. First of all, most people, most designers, they don't even have a model of emotions. So just grabbing emotions out of the air and sticking them in there isn't going to work. Next thing is that it's, there's more than just emotions happening there. There's identity and then there's meaning. Um, we've found that the things that are easiest to research would be core meanings and emotions and that the the task of design over time has to flip around. It's not enough to still design touch points, you know, A after B after C after D in time and still have this feature mindset and then sort of tack on emotions and meaning, uh, you know, on the, on the fly later or uh, secondarily to that. If you want to create a greater relationship and, and that's all that really ever matters in our world, in our definition, you have to start with the emotions. You have to start with the core meanings and build an, um, an emotional narrative, basically, of the experience, of the relationship you want to have with people. And then you let the other kinds of you know, traditional things like features and touch points, um, you let that flow out of the wave line that you've designed from this emotional and, and, and meaningful narrative. 
So I think I think what what Nathan's describing basically is that what happens most of the time is that the the product uh, tail wags the emotional dog, in a sense that that we need to start with the experiences people want. We need to be able to map out how people want that to evolve over time, recognizing that that evolution over time produces a valued relationship. Once we know what that should be, then we develop the products and services that will evolve over time to deliver the experiences people want and to produce the relationship they want. That's a valued relationship. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, if innovation is what you're after and what's important to you, it makes all the sense in the world is to figure out, you know, what kind of experience your customer wants and what kind of experience you can deliver to them and then decide what it is that you should be designing for them. Because it may not be an app or a website or a retail store or a product or a service. You don't know that yet. And when companies make those decisions first, they preempt what the relationship is going to be and can be. And just one last thing there. It's really important if you're going to build, and, and this sort of journey map we call a wave line, uh, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an approach that's experience centric rather than touch point centric. It's vitally important in order for that to work that you can articulate what kind of experiences people actually want over time. This is another area where there's a kind of a mystification that happens. If you can't come up with a succinct way of articulating it, it will stay vague. But if you can give it an actual label, then you have a basis for design direction. And that's something that we think is absolutely central that's missing most of the time. One place where it tends not to be missing, just one example would be Disney, which everybody's familiar with, where they've label the experience wonder. It's not vague, it's not talked about satisfaction or delight, which is too vague for design direction. It's very specific and succinct. It's about wonder. If we can evoke that through different touch points, we have a basis for long-term competitive advantage and Disney does that. We're just saying everybody needs to do that. Well, so let's talk about everybody for a moment, and let's wrap up on who is actually the ideal person to uh, get their hands on the tool of creating wave lines that you're covering in Blindspot. Who's going to really benefit, and uh, and how? Well, I think that ultimately anyone that's in business can benefit. I mean. Businesses need to understand themselves as relationship business or in being in the relationship business. And I don't think that most do. And even the ones that do are hamstrung by the fact that every tool that they're using and every metric that they're comparing themselves on um, doesn't measure relationship. If, if anything, it optimizes relationship out. Um, there's a, this isn't really what the book is about, but one thing that we acknowledge is that this dynamic of, these other kinds of value, premium values, um, and the fact that relationship is important and the fact that experience is important because that's the only place that relationship happens, that's just as true on the personal side as it is on the professional side. So these mechanisms, you know, um, they guide and and govern our personal relationships just as much as they they govern our relationships in, in, you know, organizations. 
So anyone could benefit from these tools and these insights if they wanted to create, if they truly wanted to create better relationships. So anyone can really be anyone who has their hands on the levers of a, an organization's strategy, but it can come, uh, it can really be, you know, anyone who's uh, a product manager, perhaps, right? Uh, you know, kind sure. of, uh, could it be someone who is uh, involved in the design process in any way? Absolutely, because relationships are the business of companies. Right. And um, it's been sort of the elephant in the room, to Nathan's point, it's hard to measure, and there's a mystification, right? So we're talking about demystifying it and coming up with better ways to be able to, to measure it and to act on it. And that's going to matter just as much to a CEO as it will to a head of marketing as it will be to a, a design manager to a product manager. Everybody's involved in the relationship business. So everybody can use these tools and these ways of getting clarity to do their work better. Right, and I would I'd go so far as to say if everyone's in the relationship business, relationship is the most strategic thing you could be looking at and, and acting on. So anyone that, that wants to grab it or guide it, whether that they're coming from product marketing or um, product development or design, if you get involved and you have a better way of both looking at and then describing and developing better relationships, that's as strategic as you can get in a company. So this is an opportunity for a designer, an engineer, a developer, a marketer, et cetera, to make themselves more strategic if they can find and, and you know, do the research, build it, build it into the tool and find a way to communicate it effectively to their client or to their company. So uh, I think that's a great place to, to wrap it. Uh, you, you've done a great service with Blindspot. You've, you've written a book that's going to help people up and down the organization uh, become more relevant because they're going to be more focused on relationship, uh, especially relationship over maybe some old metrics and some old concepts like loyalty that are less and less important today. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, it's great to have you. Um, Steve Diller and Nathan Shedroff, authors uh, with Sean Sauber of Blindspot, Illuminating the Hidden Value in Business, is the second of our Two Waves books imprint. Uh, the Two Waves series it really plums the intersection of business and design. And um, the book is uh, going to launch on November 15th, 2016, and uh, is actually available for uh, pre-order right now. So if you're hearing this before November 15th, you can get it now. You can get the book from Amazon or from twowavesbooks.com. Uh, thanks again, guys. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Lou. Thank you.